and listen and today commiserate. I know you've been doing it and hearing it all day long, but not from me. And I feel the same pain that you do. I, uh, the, the front page of today's Detroit News said it all in one big word, heartbreak. That's really what it was, heartbreak. As uh, Wojo said, Lions' aggressive gambling approach paid off all season until their luck suddenly ran out. Justin Rogers in the Detroit News, Lions blow 17-point lead in NFC title game. We know, we know all of that. We know that uh, one of the more famous uh, fans, but we're all famous as fans for this Lions team, as Eminem posted on X, let's, let's face it, this is one of the best seasons in team history, period. As Eminem said, quote, so proud of the Lions. Thanks for an amazing season. We'll be back. That was from Eminem. Now, look, I agree with that. I agree that we have much to be thankful for, for our Detroit Lions and an incredible season. But I also agree. We are allowed this bit of time to hurt and suffer the heartbreak. If you had to choose the worst way to lose this game, we chose it. There were many other ways to lose this game that were not as bad as being in front 24-7 to at halftime. That made it especially bad. I couldn't sleep well last night. Maybe other people had the same problem. Yes, yes, it was a great season. Yes, Dan Campbell is everything Dan Campbell has said he would be. What he, what he promised three years ago, I wrote it in my Detroit News column today. I hope people, I, I don't know if the Lions are back yet, but I hope people greet them at the airport and, and cheer them on as the heroes they are. But we still have every right to look at this game and try to digest it and try to figure out just what in the world happened. Now, I've got a couple of experts with me. Uh, you know that Dave Rieger is out in California because he was feeding things on our social media. He'll he'll join us at about 1 o'clock, right after the 1 o'clock news. But Michael Parsons, who you wake up with very early in the mornings, first thing with Michael Parsons and Renee, Renee Vitale. Uh, Michael is here helping out. Michael, thank you for being here. I Ooh. appreciate it. Expert, though. That's, uh, that, that's a lot to live up to. Well, I'm going to have you live up to it. Brian Brian Morton, who does not want to be referred to, is here and helping out. He's busy uh, getting JR Afternoon ready with Chris Renwick. But, Brian, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Uh, will we hear from Brian at all? I don't think so. He's too devastated still. Okay. Danielle Mason, who I know is devastated. I already spoke with her this morning getting everything set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich Luzinski, WJR Traffic and Weather First. And as I say, uh, Dave Rieger, our regular, well, I don't know, Danielle, could we ever call Dave a regular? <laughs> no. No. So uh, Dave, our our daily producer, is in uh, Santa Clara, or maybe he's at the San Francisco airport. I'm not sure where he is, but he's going to check in with us. Maybe he's All in right. Alcatraz. He, <laughs> he might have. I hope they left him there. He's not allowed back for making the Lions lose. Well, I don't think he made the Lions lose. I'm afraid the Lions made the Lions lose. Uh, I won't even say that San Francisco made the Lions lose. 
No. Because I, I think we handed them this victory. And I have a, I now have, I was up all night thinking about this. What's your theory, Michael? Well, number one, it seemed like the teams switched jerseys at halftime. I mean, as dominant as the Lions were in the first half, San Francisco was in the second half. My theory, and it could have been the inexperience, that was, uh, that was San Francisco's second straight conference championship game. I'm wondering if they started the, 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 the thought of going to the Super Bowl in one half uh, kind of got into their head and like, oh, my God, we're on the verge of going to the Super Bowl because they looked, I, I mean, they looked uncharacteristically sloppy coming out in the third well, quarter. They looked completely different completely out of it compared to the first half. I would have loved if they came out thinking they were going to the Super Bowl and carried that by their play. But they did not. They, in fact, looked like they were not going to go to the Super Bowl. They even looked like, here's what I came up with. And you can tell me I'm wrong or right, or maybe you have no opinion on this. What kept coming to my mind after that game was I felt our Lions suffered from what has been called the imposter syndrome. Right. It is a condition of feeling anxious, not experiencing success internally, despite being high-performing in external, objective ways. They were high-performing all season long. They were high-performing in the first half of this game. But I felt they lost that mojo when they set foot on the field for the second half, I I felt that they felt like an imposter, like a, a fraud or a phony, and all of a sudden doubting their abilities. Yeah, I think I think they got into their own heads. Um, I think they did. I think they doubted their own abilities, and they started thinking, wait a minute, who are we to think we can beat these guys? We're the Lions. These guys are the San Francisco 49ers. That's pretty deep, Paul. I know it's deep, but I'm trying to get to where this could possibly happen because I can't figure out how one team went in for the first half, 24 to 7, and came out the second half and stopped performing. There's a, a famous story from uh, Jimmy Johnson who, who coached the Cowboys back in the 90s when they were winning all those Super Bowls. And he did this exercise. He took uh, something that was like a balance beam and he put it up about a foot off the ground. And none of his players could make it across. And then he would just, he, he would put it right on the ground and his players w would walk right across. And he said, that's because you weren't, you weren't focused on what could go wrong. You were just focused on the task at hand. And so, you know, they focus on the task at hand. They don't start thinking, oh, my God, you know, we're about to go to the Super Bowl. Oh, my gosh, we don't belong here. They just focus on getting getting it done. And I think the opposite happened with the Lions last night. Another good uh, a good thought. I know that sounds uh, deep, Danielle, but I, I really think they fit the model of somebody struck in the second half with that feeling that maybe they really didn't belong there. Oh, that makes me sad. The imposter syndrome. If you read more into it, you'd be amazed that there are people we run into in life that go through this. People we say, man, they've got it made. They're big. And we don't know it, but they're just hoping that no one figures out that they're really not everything people think they are. But well, the Lions were everything 
we thought they were. So it becomes a psychological issue. Now, you tell me, Mike, I don't follow this stuff well enough to know. Coach was talking about how hard it is to get there and how hard it was to get there, Mm -hmm. and we all agree. But how does he know already that the team is going to change drastically? Why would that be? Well, I I know two big pieces that aren't going to be there next year are are his offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, who he's a mad genius, and then his defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn. Also, you know, uh, some of these guys perform very highly. There's going to be other teams coming, uh, offering them big money, so... I think the nucleus will still be there, but but there might be some pieces that make a difference that might not be here next year. Interesting. Well, we'd like to we'd like to see him bring the whole doggone team back together and do what they can to do it again. Now that we've been there after sixty six years, whatever. But the heartbreak continues. We will get over it. We will celebrate. The, as close as the Lions have been in 66 years, and that's a lot to celebrate. The curse is broken, and the Lions are now a formidable force. We just have to make sure they fully accept, understand, and embrace their ability because they did not in the second half. That's where the imposter syndrome came up in my mind. We're going to talk to Mike O'Hara columnist DetroitLions.com for years and years. Been following the Lions. We'll get his take in just a moment. On this Monday afternoon edition, Paul W. Smith in Focus, WJR. Well, we've just received word from Mike O'Hara that he uh, had something that came up. He He's not available right now. I don't know if it's because of the heartbreak uh, and he can't speak. I'm not sure. Uh, he's a reliable guest. That's for sure has been for years. We hope everything is okay. Uh, A couple of quick notes. Today is uh, National Corn Chip Day. Do you like uh, corn chips, Danielle? Yeah, I like corn chips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Michael Parsons, corn chips or no corn chips? Yeah, the Fritos kind, yeah. Yeah. yeah, See, that's the brand name, sure, but there are other corn chips. But anyway, did you know in some regions... Pouring chili into a bag of corn chips and eating the mixture direct, directly from the bag is normal? That, that doesn't sound normal to me. Does that sound normal to you? Don't they do that in Philly? I don't know. I didn't. When I lived in Philly, I never was aware of it. But oh, then wait, again, wait, wait. I think it's Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Skyline Chili with the corn chips. Well, there you are. There you go. And by the way, Michael Parsons, uh, Fritos were the first corn chips, so you like the original. Started in the 30s. There's a Frito chili pie, a type of pie invented in the 60s. Uh, Fritos became huge after joining up with Lay's. And even Fritos had a restaurant in Disneyland when it opened in 1955. Casa de Fritos. (laughs) I had no idea. I did not know. I did not know that. It is, by the way, also Bubble Wrap Appreciation Day. Who likes to pop those bubbles in bubble wrap? Nobody? A survey by Sealed Air Corporation supposedly found that one minute spent popping bubble wrap relieves as much stress as a 33-minute massage. And it's it's a lot cheaper. You can relieve stress by popping virtual bubble wrap 24-7, or you can play one of three games on the Bubble Wrap 
app. You know that old expression, yep, there's an app for that? Well, I guess there really is. All right. I've delayed talking more about the Lions, but I cannot. And Chris uh, Renwick, who follows this show, JR Afternoons, is sitting probably uh, dumbfounded like the rest of us with the heartbreak of this loss, playing over and over and again, what in the world happened? I'm going to call this Lions Appreciation Day, and yes, we should be very happy for what they've accomplished, but we still have to get this off our chest and out of our systems. We can love our Lions and hate what took place last night. Yeah, yeah, Paulie, I think it's probably a good way to put it. I, um, it, it does feel like a bit of a shock, though. I mean, in the NFL, especially in the playoffs, if you get up, if you build a 17-point lead, it's, it's, nothing's automatic, but my goodness, you would think that you have a pretty good darn chance to win, and everything that, that could possibly go wrong in that second half really did. And, and they did. just didn't score enough points. They didn't do... They didn't do enough. They didn't execute enough. And and I think at the end of the day, for a team that is built on toughness and, and you know, really going down and, and, and making the play when you need it, um, they, they came up a little short last night. A lot short. And um, my family hates me when I'm doing this because we're all texting to each other. And it was a major celebration at halftime, 24 to 7. And I said, and they hate this about me, I said, folks, there's an awful lot of game left. I wish I wasn't right, but I was because there was. Anybody would know. It's halftime. There's a lot of game left. And these are the San Francisco 49ers. But what I really, I honest to God, I don't know if you heard me say this, Chris Renwick from JR Afternoon coming up right after the show here. I really, as I watched it and I lay in bed last night trying to figure it out, I honestly, I think we were watching a team celebrating from imposter syndrome. Feeling anxious, not experiencing success internally, despite being high-performing in external objective ways. The condition often results in people feeling like, quote, a fraud or a phony or doubting their abilities. And I swear to you, in the second half, they looked like they didn't believe that they were there that they were on the way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny you talk about the text groups. I, uh, I was in a couple of those last night. I had people calling me, uh, getting ready to plan a Vegas trip. Oh boy! And I, I just said um, that would be great. Let's get through the next two quarters, can we? <laughs> I mean, I, look, I, 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 you, you know, Paul, I watch a lot of football. I'm a big sports fan, and. Um, like you, have been very excited that that the Michigan Wolverines won a national title. It's been Absolutely. it's been great. Yeah. Um, and so I I look at what this team's trend has been this season, and and they have not been a third a quarter team. They are they they come out of the half flat, and and they they generally start their second halves pretty slow. And not only did we see that last night, where their third quarter was was you know kind of spinning their wheels. But then every little bounce, every every turnover, every little thing that could have gone wrong, missed catches on crucial fourth down plays. I mean, everything that went that could have went wrong did. And you got to give credit to San Francisco. I mean, that's a good football team, a really good football team. And and you have to take advantage of those opportunities. And the Lions did in the first half. 
They scored a touchdown off a of Brock Purdy interception, and 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 the 49ers responded. So it's just it's one of those things where I, I, a lot of people are are you know they're they're autopsying this thing and and they're looking back with with the ability of hindsight. And right. I just I don't believe that a lot of the a lot of the the gut reactions to this. I've seen tweets about firing Dan Campbell. Oh, I mean, I, I've seen just some nonsense out there, and it's like. I, 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 we can all be hurt. We can all spend a day here and be upset and, and feel like we, we could have gone on to something really special. But this team, I mean, reinvigorated the town. They played unbelievable. They gave us some th- some things we haven't seen in many years, a, t- a division title win, a couple of playoff home games. I mean, it's it's been great. But, yeah, it's you feel a little empty when you're when you're 30 minutes away from a potential Super Bowl. Yeah. And people were really making their plans. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and who could blame them after watching us in the first half, just presuming we'd be at least half as good in the second half. But we were nowhere near half as good in the second half. Missed tackles, missed catches. My goodness, we even bounced balls out of our hands, off our helmets, into their hands. Yeah. We couldn't work on a circus play like that and make it happen. You know what but Scotty Bowman used to call that stuff when he was the coach of the Red Wings? Puck luck. Puck luck. There was a lot of puck luck last night uh, really if you were a 49er was. in the second half of that game. It was a lot of, a lot a lot of, of puck, puck luck. luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are. Well, there's other important, I mean really important things to talk about. For yeah. example, three U.S. service members killed, 34 more people injured, in a drone strike in Jordan, Biden, toothless Biden, says the attack was carried out by Iran, and he's going to respond. If he doesn't respond in kind, meaning these people knew what they were doing, they did it at a barracks where they knew American soldiers were mm-hmm. asleep, those cowards. If we go after empty buildings again, he should be thrown out of office. Let's not wait for him to stumble out. Because he's not protecting America by any stretch of the imagination. And that's the most important thing that's going on right now, as much as we want to think that the the Lions loss is. Yeah. Well said, Polly. It's still hard for us to deal with either way. We'll be listening this afternoon, Chris. Thanks Thank much. You. We'll talk soon. Chris Renwick, JR Afternoon. We'll try to catch up with Mike O'Hara, find out what the issue was, the problem. As we continue on this Monday, January 29th, a much different Monday than we were hoping for just mere hours ago. Paul W. in focus. Stay with us. I'm sure that our friend Todd Flood feels the same heartbreak that all of us feel after the Lions game. The attorney and managing partner of Flood Law who helps us all the time. Todd, uh, where were you watching the game last night? I was watching it with my lovely bride uh, in front of our uh, TV in the living room. And uh, I got to tell you, it's uh, heartbreak is, uh, it, it is, it was a tough, tough, tough loss. And we were the better of the two teams. And, um, you know, you just, we hope uh, that we can pick ourselves up. I think Dan Campbell is a, phenomenal coach and um i am i am confident and uh think that we will uh 
persevere and coming up in the next year. But man, this 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 one was tough, Paul W. Tough. It's it's tough very tough, very tough. But I will say this: uh, as close as the Lions have been in sixty six years, and breaking the curse or the spell that made there people believe that the Lions would never have a winning team. Well, remember all the things they've said. Well, as long as the Ford's own and blah, blah, blah. Sheila Fordhamp has earned the respect. Rod Wood has earned the respect. And certainly Dan Campbell has earned the respect. I I almost think, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here because we need to speak with you about yeah, things that are more important than in the news, life or death. But I, I honest to God, as I, I lay in bed last night, I, it came to me after watching that second half, um, two different teams the Lions put on the field. The first half, we already know, leading 24-7. to And the second half, I think all of them got hit with what, I, what I've, become, I've come to know as the imposter syndrome. You know, there are people who suffer from the imposter syndrome in all walks of life that we, people we think are on top of the world and they're all worried that we're going to figure out they aren't really on top of the world and shouldn't be. Mm, no, you understand what I mean? And yeah, here yeah, it is, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, here yeah. we have uh, uh, people feeling like a fraud or a phony and doubting their abilities. I swear to you, I swear to you, our team came out uh, uh, on the second half and started thinking, Wait a minute. What, did we forget who we are? These are the San Francisco 49ers. We're 30 minutes away from a Super Bowl? What? What's going on here? And then they started dropping balls, missing tackles, even bouncing balls off their hands and helmets into the, yeah, the 49ers. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. No. I, you know, life is a game of inches. We've heard that before, right? One play this way, one play that way, and the, the helmet gets messed up. The psychology of a player gets messed up. You could see when there was a drop ball and there were cement hands a couple times, and then that unbelievable off-the-helmet break catch, I mean, once in a, a, a blue moon. You know, it's at that point in time, I was thinking, I was thinking, Campbell's calling a timeout. I know we had to preserve him, whatever the case may be. But you have to regroup quick, and you have to say we deserve to be here. We are the team. We are the champions that need to be there. And I, I, you're right. You're absolutely right. One play, one way or the other. But I will say this. I give all the respect in the world to that team. I, I love that team. I love uh, uh, the Ford family, obviously, and, and for everything they put out there. Um, it's just it's so heartbreaking to me because I'm a huge fan and I've been a season ticket holder. I my kids and I have been going to the games for twenty you know plus years. My dad took me to my first game when it was mm. in Tiger Stadium. So yeah, no, I get it, I get it. So anyway, I, I and I, and all I'm saying is, I am I celebrate this team. I hope I don't know if they're back yet or not, but I hope people meet them in the airport and celebrate them. Um, I I. It's an incredible season. I'm not taking that away. But I do believe we all have the right to have this pain and heartbreak and try to work yeah. our way through this before we can move on. We can still love the Lions, as I do, as you do, uh, but we right. still scratch our head and say, guys, you deserve to be there. And I agree with you on that, Todd Flood. I was waiting for the coach to just call them all together and say, guys, guys, deep breaths. We're here. Yeah. Remember the first yeah. half? That wasn't uh, uh, that wasn't a gimmick. That wasn't luck. 
You guys are that good. Let's play right. that way. Amen. Amen. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I'm inspired by the whole thing, but, uh, you know, uh, it, I still have a pit in my stomach. I can't sure. believe it, but yep. whatever. Yep, yep, yep. All right, here we go. Uh, it all began again today for um, <sighs> Jennifer Crumbly, and uh, it, it's, I guess, one of the biggest things is that she deleted a bunch of texts, and apparently in this day and age with technology, you really can't delete texts, so it... It works against you to try to do that when you're in a legal case. Yeah, well, a consciousness of guilt or trying to hide, conceal, whatever the case may be. You know, it's uh, obviously there was uh, the messages that could paint her in an incriminating position that she's trying to, you know, take away from public view because clearly um, it puts her in an ugly light, a bad light. You know, this, this case... Sadly so. I, I, I'm still trying to figure out where the defense is going, and there's so many things here that uh, we're scratching our heads at. Um, but you lay out the foundation, show that, one, there was the homicide. It was an ugly, ugly you know, beginning because it's very sad. Then the prosecution is going to go into methodically laying out the case about who, who Jennifer Crumbly was, um, and how she, the household was, then she, they're going to lay out messaging that shows she knew what was going on. She had information about her son being in peril. Then they're going to talk about the gun and the purchase of the gun. They're going to go into the day before, the night before, that bomb's still going to come out. Um, and you have to show, you have to give notice. Let's make it really simple. If you gave your son the car keys to the car and you knew he was drunk and he went out and killed, killed somebody, Paul W., you'd be held accountable, right? Sure, sure. Here, you got to have notice. So they're going to give notice that uh, Jennifer Crumbly knew that her son was in peril. Not only did she know he was in peril, she exacerbated the peril and still allowed him to have this gun. You will find out that, that he had access to the gun, that there was no, you know, uh, the lock, wait till you see where the lock is and how the lock was, uh, you know, not in, not in operation at the time, wait until you find out the combination to the safe. It, it just is all adding up to you giving the instrument to kill somebody uh, to a kid that was in uh, a, a mental tough spot. So. Now, the defense, the only defense, as we talked about it, is, hey, listen, I, I'm not the shooter. That's the shooter over there, and I didn't fathom that he could do it. Uh, regardless of what you all say, I did not anticipate, nor could I foresee, and don't armchair quarterback me, I couldn't foresee that he was going to do these acts. Well, you know, I'm, I'm still waiting for that, uh, that to, to come out, but, you know, um, it's interesting as this case goes along. I think there's a bigger issue we were talking about amongst us in the office, uh, amongst What's attorneys, that? and and that is, you know, the secrets. This, this defense attorney has the secrets of the co-defendant. She's throwing the co-defendant under the bus. Um, how How is it that she's going to be trying this case with potentially revealing the secrets of the co-defendant? That's, that's going to be an interesting uh, issue for later on. Well, if I could jump ahead, uh, they will turn her, and uh, it'll be the the father who gets 
<laughs> the fighter yeah. who gets the big hit. And that's just based on statistics. If somebody would study that for me, um, the father's going to go down for this more so than the mother generally, although everything we're hearing uh, makes her sound pretty guilty to those of us who are just hearing what we're hearing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Appreciate your work, Todd. We will keep uh, depending on you. Thanks very much, and we, we feel your shared pain on the Lions. Thank you, my friend Paul W. Be well and enjoy your day. Thank you, sir. You too. Todd Flood, attorney, managing partner, Flood Law, all-around good guy. Day two of the Jennifer Crumbly trial. As we continue, in focus on WJR. All right, I, I mentioned at the beginning here earlier, it is National Corn Chip Day, and I wondered about this idea of people taking a bag of corn chips and pouring chili into the bag and then eating them out of the bag. Leave it to our engineer, Ray Templin, who lets me know they do the chili thing at high school football games. Who knew? What a mess. It's a walking taco. Yeah, but it's a mess. You reach into a bag, you pour chili in with corn chips, and you eat that? No, they give you a fork or a spoon. Oh, they do? Yeah, and you put lettuce in there, you put sour cream, you can put tomatoes. It's, it actually is called the walking taco. No kidding. Well, okay. I just, I haven't been to a high school game in a while. So there you are, Danielle. You're uh, backing up Ray Templin on that one. Okay. For once, I'm backing up Ray Templin. <laughs> well, Ray's right a lot of times. He's, he's got a lot of knowledge, that's for sure. Anyway, so I'm glad we got that settled. Now on to uh, important and horrific news that we'd like to not think about. And it's easy when we're thinking about heartbreak and the Lions, but the really important news is this sad, horrific news that three U.S. service members were killed, 34 more and counting people injured in a drone strike in Jordan. The president says the attack was carried out by Iran-backed militants, and he's going to do something about it. Well, let's see, because so far he hasn't. This drone struck near a, bar uh, a barracks, on a base in northeastern Jordan at night when they knew the troops would be in there asleep, cowards that they are. We should respond in kind times 10. Let's see if we do. A guy on top of the story, a Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor extraordinaire, Jonathan Savage is following this sad, horrific story. Jonathan, good afternoon. Thanks for your help on this. What's the latest? Yeah, hi there. Nice to talk to you again. Um, unfortunate about the circumstances, of course. And um, we're actually getting some more information coming through to us uh, very recently, which perhaps sheds a bit of light on how this was able to happen. Um, this base is called Tower 22. It is in Jordan, as you're saying, near the Syrian border. We didn't even know it existed until about 24 hours ago. The U.S. wanted to keep it secret. Apparently, it's been there since 2016, but it wasn't kept secret enough uh, that a, a group in Iraq uh, didn't know about it and were able to target it. Now, what we're being told is that, um, that its air defenses at the base failed to stop this attack drone because an American drone was returning to the base at the same time. The drones were in the vicinity of one another. And essentially, that led to some confusion. Yeah. So, yeah, a very a, a tragic and, 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 and unfortunate situation, I suppose you might say. But none of that, of course, changes the fact that 
three American troops were killed, 34 were injured, eight of whom received injuries serious enough that they required evacuation from Jordan to higher level care, where we're told they're in a stable condition. So the president says, quote, we will take all necessary actions to defend the United States, our troops and our interests. I wonder if he understands that what he's been doing so far has done none of that and that these guys are laughing their butts off at us and what they're able to get away with time and time and time again. This president attacks garages after he makes sure they're empty. So far, the U.S. response, of course, has been not to target Iran, who many people feel are the puppet masters in all this. Iran says that it has nothing to do with it, as you would expect them to say. Um, the United States has targeted the direct perpetrators of the airstrikes, um, supposedly missile sheds and operation centers. But of course, from the likes of you, political pressure is piling up on President Biden to deal a blow directly against Iran. Now, what could that mean? That could mean targeting Iranian forces outside Iran, targeted Iranian forces even inside Iran, or perhaps um, a larger scale response against the militants who have carried out these attacks. Lloyd Austin, we're told the Defence Secretary, has been engaged in in discussions to figure out how to respond, and then President Biden will get a menu of options and he will make the decision. Um, The fear is the Turning the entire region into a battlefield, escalation is something which the U.S. government has said it doesn't want to have. Uh, Analysts say we will likely see a stronger response, but it will be calibrated, they think, to avoid serious escalation. Oh, for God's sakes. When are they going to wake up and smell the coffee? That entire region is a war zone. That entire region hates America. That entire region wants America and Israel wiped off the face of the earth. Why is that so hard for them to understand through all the actions that have been taking place? I don't know. If that's a, if that's a question for me, um, I think, yeah, that's a difficult thing to answer, I think, from, from my point of view. Um, the U.S., of course, has allies in the region. I think they would say that. They would say, look, we're, we're working with Iraq. We're working with countries to smash ISIS, to prevent ISIS coming back. We work with Saudi Arabia in security measures, uh, as well as uh, political and economic uh, relations with countries like Saudi Arabia. But as you're saying, there are many people there who don't want the U.S. anywhere near the region. And that is one of the reasons why these extremist Shia groups exist. They want to drive out the 3,000 U.S. soldiers who are um, attacking ISIS, who are stopping the narcotics trade, who are training uh, regional forces to battle them. And Iran trying to exert its influence in the region, trying to stir the pot, is the U.S. government and their allies say behind all that. Well, yeah, the president said he knows it's Iran. Iran continues their lies from their ministry, uh, saying, quote, Islamic Republic of Iran has no role in decisions by resistance groups on how they support the Palestinian nation or defend their people. However, this is not part of the quote, we will pay for anything and everything they want to do to strike out at Israel or America. Something which... I don't mean to be forcing you into saying these things, Jonathan, but it is a talk (laughs) show. I know you're a newsman, but it is a talk show. I'm a talk show host, not a newsman, and thank God for that. 
Um, so I'm just, it's very frustrating to watch this happen time and time again and watch people get away with murder, literally get away with murder. Yeah, I hear your frustrations. And I know your frustrations are felt are felt widely. We're hearing quotes from politicians of all stripes demanding that the U.S. government hold those accountable. And I think in the next 24 to 48 hours, I expect we will hear more from the Biden administration about what they think is the correct response to this. We would like to just see the correct response. They don't have to keep talking. Their actions will be far louder than any of the words they've been repeating ad nauseum to us. And then what happens, Jonathan Savage, if they do not respond in kind? Boy, I'm telling you. Jonathan, always appreciate it. Never mean to put you in a bad position, but it's very frustrating right now. I hear you. No worries. Have a good day. You too. Jonathan Savage, Fox News correspondent, WJR contributor. Iranian-backed rebel group killing three American servicemen, injuring 34 others, because that's what they wanted to do, and that's what they did do. Now, what do we do? (sighs) News is coming up here, and brighter days with Focus and Paul W. Smith, WJR. Mondays are tough. This is a tougher one. This is the toughest Monday in a long time. But here we are. We're all in this together. Heartbreak, as uh, expressed by the headline writers for the uh, Detroit News. That's, that sums it up well. Heartbreak. We, we watched that game at 24-7 at halftime. People were celebrating. I said, hey, there's still plenty of game left. I wish I wasn't so right. A different team came out in the second half, and I think they were suffering from imposter syndrome. I don't think that team that came out in the second half, had the same feeling they had in the first half, where they dominated. There was nothing dominant in the second half. It's like they figured out, gee, maybe we're not even really supposed to be here. What could it have been? What changed so drastically from the first half to the second half? And the missed tackles, the missed catches, the missed catches and interceptions and balls bouncing off helmets for 54-yard gains from the opponents. I mean, you couldn't have planned this out any worse. And yes, we are thankful for these Lions. And yes, we are never going to forget how great this season was and how much we appreciate them. And the curse is broken. And we thank Sheila Ford Hamp. We thank the the whole gang, for goodness sakes, that have been there and working hard like Rod Wood. And, of course, like the guy we met three years ago that we most of us didn't know anything about, Dan Campbell, even though we played for the Lions, matter of fact. We were not there, but we watched it on television like most of us. But, in fact, Dave Rieger, our producer, was there and is still there. I don't know if he's at the airport in San Francisco or if he's still in Santa Clara, California, where the scene of the crime took place but he's on the other end of our line right now david now i i i would like to just hear what it was like for you being there uh, it was uh it was an incredible atmosphere paul um that is a great stadium out there in santa clara um and uh it was uh just a tale of two halves i think you summed it up perfectly 
It was total domination in the first half and the second half. Uh, like the Lions have done this year, the third quarter, they just they just went to sleep, and uh, there were some mistakes that were made and um, allowed the Niners to come back. You know, everyone said they had to get started early. They couldn't come back like they have sometimes. but And they started so strong. Uh, the 49ers were the ones that looked uh, perplexed and uh, confused in that first half. But I just, I, the difference in the second half was just mind-blowing. Momentum. Momentum is a strong thing. And in football, it sometimes means everything. Uh, it did not help, in my opinion, on the, uh, the fourth down calls that they should have taken the, the field goal attempts. And you put points up on the board when you're on the road in hostile territory, and it might have helped to stop the bleeding. I just did not like these fourth down calls. And I know that this is the Lions' image. This is what they do. This is the, I've heard the live by the sword, die by the sword. I just did not like it. And I thought that it, um, it would hurt the Lions in the long run with these, uh, you know, going on fourth down. I understand take what you're po- saying. Take I, the I, points. I, take the points. Take the points. I never heard that one about being on the road, and I guess that would make good sense. On the road, take the points when you can. But yep. this is why he's been called Dan Gamble. This is He played the way he has played all season long, and their aggressive gambling approach, as Bob Wojanowski put it, uh, or at least his headline writer, Lions' aggressive gambling approach paid off all season until – their luck suddenly ran out. So, I mean, yes, it's easy to say now, and yes, we could have used those points, but what if those what if those uh, fourth downs were converted into a first down like they had been so many times yeah. during the season? You're right, and then, he's, and then he's applauded. And what if he tried the field goal and they missed? I've heard that too. But you have to – I know that we're living in a world of analytics, and I know that if this is fourth and two, fourth and three – you're uh, you're in, you're in enemy territory. You know you you go for the uh, kill shot. I get it. Sometimes, again, what I believe, especially in so close to a Super Bowl ever, and you're on the road, you take the points, and then you see what happens. It's the same thing, like with that Dallas game. Even though, you know, the the call was wrong, he started trying to still convert the two point conversion instead of kicking the extra point and going for overtime. This is what bothers me about, about the gambling mentality because it could work all long, it could work all year long, and then in the most important moment, this happens. Well, and, and I must say, from knowing Dave Rigger, he's my producer, and knowing how he feels, uh, and, uh, you know, Danielle and I give him a hard time, and for good reason, but uh, this is the way Dave Rigger uh, felt. Dave Rigger... I'm sure said aloud, oh, no, they should be kicking the field goal before they miss the pass. Because I, I, I know that's how you look at yeah. a situation like this. So it's not, it is not truly Monday morning quarterbacking. It's how you yeah. felt, and it turns out you were right. Yeah, and, I, and listen, I feel horrible for the, for the fans that all came out to Santa Clara. There were tons of Lions fans there. I don't know how it looked on television, but in person – they were everywhere, and uh, they were loud, and they showed up. And I feel 
terrible about it because this is going to hurt for a long time, you know, and you don't know that you're going to be able to get back. I, and Dan Campbell said it in his post-game press conference. He knows that it's now going to be twice as hard to try to get back. And, you know, teams change and contracts and salary cap. And when you have a, an opportunity and a window and you're 30 minutes away from the Super Bowl and up 17 points, you have to, you know, finish the job. I, I don't I don't know what was said at halftime. I guess they've had trouble third quarter throughout the season, but it was a whole different team. It was a team that started not believing they should even be there, or so it seemed, and that goes back to my imposter syndrome, which I lay in bed last night and it came to me and I thought this this is what just happened. I can't I can't come up with another reason, which would be an excuse, but I can't come up with another one. I just can't figure it out. So as we congratulate the Lions for the best season in lifetimes, uh, and uh, we have it this close for 60, what, 66 years, whatever it is, um, and we heard him say in the post-press conference, and he was emotional and as well you might guess, um, and so, by the way, so was Goff, which I appreciated because we've had Lions lose in the past and they – stand there at the press conferences and you you sometimes had to remind yourself they actually lost. Here you knew they lost. And I do appreciate that kind of emotion at a time like this. But what happens to for example Goff and uh, do we have him locked in what for this No, they need no, he's got him they're going to have to sign him to an extension or, uh, or or franchise tag. That'll be something that they'll deal with uh in the off season, but but like the like a lot of the players said in the in the locker room after the the game, you know, you're not going to have this exact same makeup next year. You won't have it again. So it was, again, a great season. Unfortunately, this is going to leave a bitter taste in uh, Detroit fans' mouths for a while. We will eventually get over it, at least within 66 more years. But we will get over it. (laughs) And um, what was it like in the locker room? I can't even imagine what it was yeah, like. You were there, was, I assume, was, before uh, the game was, and after the game. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty quiet in the, in the locker room after the game. Of of course. When are you flying home? Tomorrow. Okay, safe flight. I uh, hope you're having a nice visit with your brother. Thanks. As you as you call him, the successful Rieger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think his brothers are pretty successful too. You take care, Dave. Safe travel. Take care, Paul. Thanks. Thank you very much. Dave Rieger out there in California. He he did a lot of social media for us during before and during and after the game from Santa Clara, California. As we continue on this Monday, dark Monday, in focus. Badu, badu. Boom. All right, uh, here we go. Paul W. Smith here, along with uh, Michael Parsons, Brian Morton, Daniel Mason, Rich Luzinski, uh, with our WJR Traffic and Weather First, even Dave Rieger from California, and Mike O'Hara, columnist extraordinaire, DetroitLions.com, following the Lions longer than virtually anyone I know. And he's here to share in our heartbreak and our pain. Good afternoon, Michael. Hello, Paul. How are you? I am excellent. I'd like to know uh, someone with your expertise, your history, 
how you would describe what took place last night. That's a great question. And, you know, I'm out at Allen Park now. I do some work here. But I think everybody here has has probably the same or close to the same feeling, and and I don't blame them. It's a, a sense of loss and a sense of lost opportunity. And in that opportunity, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, will I ever get another chance? I'd like those, to those know. To me are, those to me are the, just that's my opinion now. Those, that, sure. that seems to be what, what people are thinking. Sure, why not? I mean, they got closer than they've gotten in 66 years. This is to, I don't blame them for right now thinking, oh my, will we have to wait again for this to happen? But what what I'd like to know is if there's a way, and, and we're going to try to talk to Lomas Brown, if not today, tomorrow, but... Um, is there a way you can kind of help us get into their heads as to what would happen to a team that comes out, blasts out of the cannon like a like a rocket in that first half, such domination, and then coming out in the second half and looking like a completely different team that actually maybe even felt they shouldn't be there? You know, they they looked rattled to, to me in the, in the second half. Absolutely in, in control in the first half of that game. The first thirty minutes, you couldn't you couldn't have written a script and said, "Now I want you to follow this word by word," and and, and it'll lead to a you know, perfect you know perfect football thirty minutes. You couldn't you couldn't script it that way. You really couldn't. But you certainly I don't know if you could script how it fell apart in the second half. The second uh, 30 minutes, it was just a complete fall, complete turnaround of a team that hasn't done that. That hasn't been their modus operandi this entire season. Sure, they've had a couple of bad moments like everybody else does, but they were on top of their game from start to finish in the regular season and in the first two playoff games, but certainly not that last 30 minutes. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. Honestly, um, I, w- I mentioned earlier I was texting a lot with family and friends, and they were so excited at halftime, twenty-four to seven, and they always look at me as the old stick in the mud when I wrote back, "This is exciting, but there's a heck of a lot f- more football left in this game." And, and, and you know, you're exactly right to feel that way because there is. That's the reality of the game. Right. I almost felt as if they couldn't believe how well they did in the first half. They weren't expecting that. They were hoping that. They were aiming for that. But then it happened. And then they came out. And I, the only thing I can come up with after lying in bed all night thinking about this is the imposter syndrome. That is a, a condition that results in people feeling like a fraud or a phony or doubting their abilities. And they somehow got in their head, wait a second, wait a second, we're 30 minutes away from the Super Bowl and we're beating a team that's been there so many times and knows what they're doing and they're so confident. And and they kind of lost their mojo. They completely lost the feeling they had in the first half and the way they performed. Oh, absolutely. And, and just think about this, and I already mentioned it, but it only took eight minutes for them to catch up in the second the third quarter of the second half. Yep. Eight minutes. Eight minutes. 
And though we've always had bad third quarters or tough ones, 17 points, third quarter, I didn't think we were ever going to score again. And though there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of people saying, well, Dan Gamble, he should have gone for the field goal. Well, okay, but that's not what got them to where they are or were last night. No, that wasn't. That's, and you know, look, you have to have a way you play. I, I firmly believe that. You've got to have a style of, of play. Now, you have to be personal and ability to change up and things like that, but you have to have a way you play. And Dan Campbell's way to play is to be aggressive. And I don't think just a, at the, one of the key moments of a very important series, you're all going to sudden, sudden tell your players, now we're going to start backing off, guys. No, you, you can't do that because that's not the way – that's not the way you're made. You've been created, sort of, in a football sense, to play a certain way, and it's worked. And I don't think you can change it. Now, you have to be, like I said, you got to be able to change things up to some degree of your game plans and stuff like that. But you, you've got to be true to the way you play the game. If you were to sum up last night's game, how would you sum it up, Mike O'Hara? Well, I try not to, but I... I'm sure. uh, How would I sum it up? Lost opportunity. And to me, that's the worst. Lost opportunity. If we get past past this, this heartache that we all have a right to have, this, you know, we also can say, what a great team, what a great season, as close as they've been in 66 years or whatever... We, we still have a right to feel this pain, even anger, frustration. But let's not forget that Rod Wood, Sheila Fordham, their whole team, Dan Campbell, I, I never mentioned the general manager, but I should because he's as important or most important too. Um, I, I'm, we have to remember that they have broken the curse. And we should not look back. We should merely look forward and realize that uh, we have the bones of a great team still, regardless of whatever changes and challenges we have in the offseason. Do you agree? I agree pretty much with that. I mean, the changes always come in the National Football League. You've got a 53-player roster with some reserves and you know, people, injuries and all that. So it's, it's not realistic to think that you're going to bring all of those what might end up with 70 players or something like that under contract. You're not going to bring them all back. And, look, there are contract negotiations ahead. There's a draft that's ahead. There's free agency ahead. There's a lot of things. One thing about the National Football League, it's open to change. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It's open to change. Is golf a a no-brainer or not? Uh, No-brainer. Absolutely no-brainer. And there are some others there, others there, too. But you start with a quarterback. can't play the game without a quarterback. And he played pretty good football for the Detroit Lions. And he sure did. Well, my friend, here we go again. A new season in front of us. A great season that sadly ended with a missed opportunity, as you put it. Well put, Mike O'Hara, columnist, DetroitLions.com. And the guy I've been following follow the lions for as long as anyone i can remember thank you sir all right paul thanks thanks for having me Appreciate it. talk to you later mike thanks all right we continue in focus at 128 on wjr
It's been tough for everybody uh, following the Lions all these years and then having us get as close as we've been in 66 years and then seemingly fall apart, uh, not seemingly, falling apart for the second half. And it's been uh, difficult. If you think it's been difficult for us just following the Lions, imagine opening a sports bar in uh, uh, 2005 uh, which means you had to sit through many seasons of bleakness and uh, uh, bleak years of head coaches, etc. If you read Neil Rubin, as we do in the Free Press, he had the story uh, of a guy who really had to count on the Lions and Wolverines uh, doing well. The Wolverines did the best they could and did do well. But uh, Steve Malley, owner of Malley Sports Grill and Bar in Southgate, was was over the moon with how the Lions have done this year. And I, what a payoff, Steve, after all this uh, time since 2005, huh? Yeah, you know, honestly, it's been a great season regardless. We can't look at it as a, you know, as a, you know, as a loss. I mean, we, we've waited all this time to have a, a good team and what a great season. It's oh, we fell a little short, but, yeah, but you know what? Never, I mean, never, never going to take away from the Lions that they had one of the best seasons ever. And that's all great, but I do believe there's a period of time it's okay for us to mourn uh, what took place last night. Uh, there's there's heartache, there's frustration. That, as I've said, you didn't hear me, but I said it earlier, that doesn't take away from what a great season it was. And certainly for you, running Mally's Sports Grill and Bar in Southgate, this, was, this has had to have been incredibly great. Oh, it was so close, so close. I mean, what an incredibly electric atmosphere we had until halftime. I mean, everybody, we're literally thinking we're going to the Super Bowl. We're we're on our way to the Super Bowl. We got this. And, I mean, the crowd was just going nuts and screaming and yelling and high-fiving and everyone just – I mean, what a great time, you know, for the the first two quarters – and then it was kind of like, oh, my God, is it really happening? It was uh, – we were so close. We were so close, man. It was uh, – but it was great. It was great while it lasted. You know what was great and what has been great? The fact that you are a successful owner and promoter. Uh, to think – think of this for a second. Steve Malley, the owner of Malley Sports Grill and Bar on Southgate, actually had times when he would offer to pick up every tab in his 300-seat restaurant – if the Lions won. So you've been through it all, and you've come through it all, and have been very successful, and, uh, and we salute you for that. And, uh, and to, to go through hell and then heaven for a sports bar, you're never going to forget it. No, no, we can't. And, look, you know, looking back, it's always I've always tried to make it fun for the customers, even when we were having difficult seasons, for them to at least root for maybe winning a, a free meal or a free pizza you know, it gives you it, it gives you something to look forward to, regardless. And I mean, let's face it, Detroit. I mean, we got the, the the greatest fan base around. I mean, you know, we we love all our sports teams. And you know, over the years, we've had you know some 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 pretty good success with the you know with the Wings and the Tigers. And you know, we you know we we don't have to hang our heads low. We can hold our heads high. What was it like in your bar last night? Awesome. I mean, it was just. Uh, I mean, that's just flat out, you know, every, you know, walking around the restaurant and seeing every customer happy, every customer excited, every customer yelling, screaming, high-fiving. I mean, it's, 
there hasn't been too many times that we've seen that for a Detroit team. Right. I mean, every Super Bowl, you know, everyone picks their favorite and you got, you know, a portion of the crowd yelling and screaming and cheering for their team. But I've never been in my restaurant and watched 300 people all cheering for the same team. And man, I thought for a minute we were, we were on our way to the Super Bowl, man. Wow. It was, well, we, it was, it was an that. awesome time. I mean, Hey, let's face it. You know, the, the lions had a great year. You know, we cannot look, look low on that. You know, next year might be our year. Hopefully it is. Well, it gave us hope. The spell has been broken. The curse has been broken. And, uh, and we uh, certainly, we all love Dan Campbell and, uh, and we love the team uh, that's been put together. And we hope that many of them are back and that we can do uh, as well this next year. I keep hearing how teams change completely, et cetera, et cetera. I want to know, uh, Steve Malley is here, owner of Malley Sports Grill and Bar in Southgate. We, back to that, uh, you'd, you'd pay everyone's, you'd pick up every tab in your 300-seat restaurant at the Lions 1, that you also had fan frustration Sunday where you handed out sledgehammers? What, did, what happened there? You know, that's that's been a minute, but I believe that year um, – they were blacking out the, the games. They weren't showing the games. They weren't televised. Ah. So uh, we were getting junk cars and <laughs> spray painting them up, you know, the Lions. And it was kind of like, hey, you know, come on in and uh, still get out and have a meal. And if you're frustrated, you know, here's a sledgehammer. Go beat the heck out of that car over there. And, <laughs> uh, and you know what? It's funny. Um, we had a lot of people come in and it made it fun. You know, we're, we're always trying to think outside the box and, you know, and, and, and keep the customers happy and coming in. And, uh, you know, that year was a very frustrating year. So we, uh, you know, I tried to do something that uh, that would keep everyone, you know, at least partially smiling. And, and it worked pretty good. We had a lot of people that enjoyed that. Good for you. What would you say uh, at Mally's uh, Sports Grill and Bar would be uh, a couple of your top favorites that everybody likes to order? Well, definitely the burger. Uh, the burger, uh, we have a two-pound taco that seems to be a huge favorite right now. Oh, wow. Uh, we, we do sell quite uh, probably one one to two a day, 10-pound hamburgers. What? But, uh, Wait a yeah, second. Yeah, we sell 10-pound hamburgers every day, <laughs> two-pound two tacos. Uh, and just your, your basic cheeseburger uh, and our turkey pretzel club. Those are the fan favorites, and they've been that for 19 years. Man, that sounds it, it all sounds good. But a everything ten, everything's ten. pretty much homemade there. You know, we we you know, I, I, I make all the recipes and uh you know, we take pride in our food. All right, one last moment because you're in the business of doing this. Give us all a pep talk to get through the blues that we're feeling right now, because you've done it for years. Give us a pep talk. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, lemonade. And uh, our glass is definitely half full. And, uh, you know, when life gives you lemons, you know, have yourself a nice half full glass of lemonade. And there's always next year. God bless you, Steve. Thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Go Lions. Go. Hey, we're proud of them. We're still proud of them. Of Very course, proud of the Lions. Of course we are. Steve Malley, owner of Malley's Sports Grill and Bar in Southgate. I can't wait to get out there. I'm going to start with the two-pound taco a uh, nice cheeseburger. I may have to work my way up to the 10-pound hamburger. 
as we continue on WJR. I hope you catch uh, Caitlin Buss when she writes in the newspaper Friday, in fact, on the opinions page. And Caitlin uh, is, in fact, assistant editorial page editor at the Detroit News and the person I submit my uh, my Monday column to, matter of fact. Got a column uh, right now, Dan Campbell, Transformed, Same Old Lions. What am I hearing here? Oh, I'm hearing my uh, cell phone. Uh, make sure to turn that off. So it, the uh, White House uh, pressed on drone mix-up leading to deadly strike, breaking news. That's the uh, press conference, and they'll dance, dance, dance on that one. Anyway, uh, this column from Friday caught my attention under the headline, State Makes False Case Against Homeschoolers. This doesn't make any sense to me at all, but Caitlin Buss, assistant editorial page editor at the Detroit News, has taken a deep dive and has some very interesting, to me, fascinating information. Caitlin, good afternoon. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. Great column this week, by the way. Oh, oh, thank you very much. And you have a great column. So there we are. Um, I, I don't get it. What's going on here? Yeah, you know, this is a big proposal uh, to to talk about in the state, and it's not to necessarily discuss the merits of the idea of registering homeschoolers themselves. I think that's an entirely separate issue that should be discussed and debated with all of the stakeholders involved. Um, what they did was really say, you know, and this is from Democrats, Attorney General uh, Dana Nessel, and then the State Board of Education has said, we, we think that there's abuse happening in homeschools and that basically parents who homeschool might not be trustworthy enough to, <laughs> to keep their kids at home. We're, we're not sure if there's abuse going on. And that's the premise on which they've said, so we must register all homeschoolers in this state. And it's, it's really just unfounded, uh, offensive, in my opinion. They've linked it to uh, they seem to be taking advantage of this one case of a couple, and, and actually the father in this couple um, was a former uh, Department of Human uh, Health and Human Services employee. So he was actually part of the Child Protective Services system that Nestle called out, you know, this guy's abusive. Well, well, why don't you take a look at your own department that you're in charge of and see where the abuse is there, not to mention public school abuse and, and what kids are subjected to across the board in a number of education models. So we're really talking about, you know, how they started this conversation, which I think was just, you know, wrong off the bat. I I must tell you, it's not what I, I, I have nothing to do with this other than reading the news, paying attention, mm-hmm. knowing homeschooled kids over the years. I've never heard of it being used as an excuse to either, A, keep their kids from being educated at all or abusing their kids. What I do know is that nearly 12% of public school students nationwide suffer either verbal, visual, or physical sexual misconduct by an educator in 2022. That's up from nearly 10% in 2004. That's from the Department of Education. I do know about bullying that happens in schools and how that's grown to be a big problem, but I have never honestly heard about this other issue. And as I understand, look, I don't think... You're going to tell me why I might be wrong on this, but I don't see a problem with somebody checking in and making sure that some kids that are not going to public schools or private schools or parochial schools or whatever, that we check in to make sure they are being educated. If it's home educated, that's fine, homeschooled. But I see that they, they, want, to, they want to basically check with people about homeschooling and about parochial schools as if they're holding them suspect as well. 
Yeah, it, it's a new approach. And, you know, Democrats are, are banking on the fact that, yes, a lot of other states register their homeschoolers, but yeah, they want to enroll, you know, they want to have four buckets, essentially, of, you know, I'm, I'm a public school, I'm in a parochial school, I'm in a homeschool, and they want to check off and, and do follow-up welfare checks with a lot of these kids. Again, you know, not to enforce any educational standards we haven't heard. You know, we need to make sure that they're reading and writing. They're saying that, but they're not even making sure that kids in public school can do that. So what gives them the ground to think that they are going to go into these homes where, you know, there's not a lot of data on homeschoolers. It's, it's growing now that, um, you know, that so many people throughout the country have turned to this form of education, that there is more data now. And I do think that a little more data for Michigan would even help. Um, but, you know, they're not saying we need to ensure that each child is being educated. I mean, that's a different conversation that might have pros or cons. They're saying this is a safety issue only. And we know that public schools are just, you know, obviously less safe than they used to be. Uh, no question about that. We have, we have news of that every day, sadly. Uh, I always thought of people who homeschooled as being kind of extra special people because they're taking on an added responsibility that most parents have uh, have given to the state or the public uh, education system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, this might be an attempt to shore up Michigan's public education. Um, you know, that has been faltering over the past decade. But there might be other reasons for that just, you know, besides uh, cultural differences. I, I think homeschoolers have been targeted because it, it has tended to be a more you know, conservative uh, philosophy of keeping your kids at home. But that is not the case today. I mean, there's a very liberal side to homeschooling. There's very progressive homeschoolers. You know, there's a ton of education models, um, learning pods, all kinds of of new ideas that have emerged since the pandemic. And, you know, everyone should be treated at best equally on an equal playing field, not punished for choosing an alternate route of education because the state has failed so greatly. Well, certainly not automatically assuming right. that 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 people who choose, parents who want to teach their kids at home, are automatically thought to be abusive and untrustworthy. Caitlin Buss with us, assistant editorial page editor of the Detroit News. Look up her column from Friday, State Makes False Case Against Homeschoolers. What do they say about the absenteeism? I mean, chronic absenteeism, as you point out in your column, uh, increased to 38% statewide in 2022. In Lansing, is this correct? 81% of students are chronically absent? 81%? It is. And, you know, it took me by surprise, too. This is right in lawmakers' backyard. Um, uh, Flint is another one. I think the the absentee rate is uh, 81%. And that means people who are missing at least 10% of the school year is, is the definition of that term. Um, you know, and in Detroit, it's about 66, 67, um, you know, other major cities throughout the state. It's, it's, you know, well over half for a lot of these places. Um, and that has increased over the past few years, too. So, yeah, to your point, you know, are they checking in on these kids when they don't show up? Um, you know, and a lot of this is the result of remote learning, masking. You know, kids are, are not motivated to show up and there's not enough teachers to keep track of them. Where do we go from here? What's next, Caitlin? You know, I think this is an important conversation, and I, I would hope that it would uh, be restarted along the lines of how do we support homeschoolers? How do we, you know, make sure that every child, public school, parochial, homeschool, is is getting that, you know, guarantee of an education that, that they do have a right to? 
Um, but it needs to be restarted on, on, you know, fairer terms. Let's talk about the pros and cons of registering homeschool students so that we have data, so that we know what's going on, but not, you know, that we're not punishing these people or presuming them to be abusive. You know, it's an increasing number of people in this state, and it's, it's just simply unfair. Well, it is to automatically assume the worst, but I, I see no problem with trying to get a handle on where everyone is, but let's be honest about why we're doing it, not because we're losing out on state or federal funding because they're not coming into the schools, but because we really do care about mm-hmm. how we do in educating these kids. We, we owe them a good education. Yeah, certainly each child, you know, deserves that protection. And I, I think we should be looking for, you know, the right routes to support parents and, and give parents, you know, the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best thing for their kid. I think that's an important approach to take. Job well done, as always, Caitlin Buss, a fine uh, graduate of Hillsdale College. Yet another one. Thank you, Caitlin, very much. Assistant editorial page editor at the Detroit News. Well, that's going to do it for us. We will uh, shake off the heartbreak uh, of last night, and we will carry on and, uh, and salute our Lions for the incredible season and joy they gave us. Stream WJR at WJR.com. Alexa, Google Home. You get the WJR app. Go to thegreatvoice.com for the podcast and be a part of it. Stand by for news and JR Afternoons with Chris Renwick. You're on your way to making each and every day count. Each day is a gift. Regards, Paul W. Smith.